Welcome, welcome. My name is Steve. I am the lead pastor, and uh, it is my privilege to welcome you here this morning. Last week, we started a new sermon series, uh, Harvest of Grace. Uh, we're looking at generosity, right? We're looking at Jesus' teaching in Luke 12 uh, about generosity. So if you have your Bibles, flip over to Luke chapter 12. If you have your apps, go ahead and open those up uh, to Luke 12. If you don't have a Bible, grab one off the chairs around you. Uh, and we're going to be looking at that in just a moment. But, but really what we're looking at is how generosity is both the natural response to grace and the catalyst for the experience of grace. I don't know if you caught that. It is the natural response to grace. In other words, when we receive grace, it awakens generosity and response. But not only that, when we push into generosity, it is a catalyst to experience more grace. Right? When we push into generosity, it actually does incredibly, incredibly good things in our hearts, right? Um, over the course of this this week and next, last week, this week and next, these three specific weeks, uh, I'm going to be specifically focusing on an invitation for you to be generous alongside the rest of our uh, church community, right? We have a shared effort of generosity taking place right now with our Flourish campaign, which is our capital campaign. It's a three-year campaign specifically uh, designed to raise money um, to to pay off um, our building loan. I'm going to explain why that's important and, and why that's really good, right? Uh, we're about halfway through our capital campaign, just a little bit over halfway through. And uh, our members, since 2019, uh, when we launched it, the beginning of 2020 is really when it officially started. Our members have uh, sacrificially committed and been faithfully giving uh, to this campaign. Just to kind of remind you of, of, of what I shared with you last week, our goal was to pay off our building uh, in order to reallocate those funds, right? So paying off the building allowed us to do multiple things. One, it allowed us to reallocate that budgetary money toward local ministry, right? So it frees up the money we were putting into the facilities uh, toward uh, equipping people to serve. So part-time staff position, um, uh, other efforts of generosity. Uh, it also, in the future, saves all the money we'd be spending on interest, right? So, so it's a future, it's an investment into future fruitfulness because as we responsibly pay off the loan now, uh, it frees up that additional money uh, for investment into ministry and to generosity. And it also pays the loan forward since our loan came through Convergement America, who is our denominational partner. Uh, they generously gave us that loan at a low interest rate so that we could get into this building, right? They, 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 they were very generous with us. Now, here's the thing. When we pay that money back, it equips them to be very generous with another church, right? As they're looking for their building, as they're looking to, to another church plant um, uh, in order for them to impact their community and to become more rooted and grounded in their community, just like we have become more rooted and grounded in ours so that we could grow in fruitfulness. So, so it is um, a multi-tiered goal. It's one goal with a lot of reasons behind it. Now, our goal was to raise $1.1 million. Uh, it was an aggressive goal. And uh, uh, you know, had a pandemic not hit, I think we would have been able to continue to, to pursue that number more aggressively. Uh, but even at the, at the very start, right, in our very first push, we had $816,640 pledged, uh, which, which was uh, phenomenal, right? Now, to let you know, halfway through the campaign at this point, we've already seen given $447,599. Uh, so, so over half of that amount has already come in. 
Uh, and to kind of give you an idea of where that's gone, right? What, what are we doing with that money? Is it just sitting in accounts? Is it sitting in a bank? No, we've, we've actually already sent um, $402,839 to our building loan, right? So we've already sent over $400,000 uh, to our loan, right? Uh, we have also um, been able to set aside 10% for generosity. It was one of the fundamental principles of how we handle money uh, is, is we, we set aside 10% for mission even when we're doing special offerings, right? So we, we took 6% of that, uh, which is right about $27,000, and we've sent that to Converge, to equip them to continue walking with young churches, just like they did with us, right? They were phenomenal partners with us when we launched Trailhead Church, and that's their passion. And so by investing in them, we're equipping them to continue to help other churches uh, to, to grow and to flourish just like ours, right? We've also set aside uh, 4%, um, so about $18,000 specifically for our church planting initiatives, right? Um, and so that that came out to about $18,000 we've already collected. Um, some of you may be wondering, you know, if, if, if it's so important to pay off the building, why are you giving some of the money away? Why, if it's so important to pay off the building, why aren't we sending every dollar we collect to the building to pay that off? I mean, that's, that's a, an additional $45,000 that could have gone toward our building loan. Absolutely true. It could have. Uh, we do it because we believe in generosity. We absolutely believe that we honor God um, when we don't focus first uh, on our own goals. We focus first on His, right? That's the whole idea of a first fruits offering. It's so fundamental to, to understanding how God wants us to approach our money. He, he asked the Israelites to give first fruits offerings. So the first harvest, the first um, group of, of animals, whatever it was, you take the best and you give them first. And it wasn't because God needed it, right? It was because we needed it. God knew that it was fundamentally important for our heart to always position ourselves first for generosity. That our primary goal is to honor Him, not achieve our goals for ourselves. And it's in honoring Him that He equips us to achieve our goals. Because as we become a blessing to others, we're not simply hoarding the blessing for ourselves. Right? And we are blessed as we become a blessing to others, right? As Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So that's kind of where we're at with this thing. We've had 105 pledgers, right? 105 family units or pledging, um, groups, whether it's an individual or a family, um, that have committed to this. We have eight families that have already paid off their pledges. Isn't that incredible? I mean, let's just praise God. We're in the middle of a pandemic, right? In the middle of a pandemic, we already had eight families completely pay off, uh, or eight giving groups uh, pay off their pledges, right? Now, in addition to that, we've had about 12 people who have had to withdraw from the campaign for various reasons, right? Again, we're in the middle of a pandemic. You're going to see a certain number of that no matter what, because people move or different instabilities come in, um, but a global pandemic, of course, magnifies that, right? So we've had about, we've had 12 people or families withdraw, but we've had about 20 people jump in and start giving without even pledging, which that was incredibly encouraging to me. Uh, About 20 families jump in and start giving um, without even making a pledge. So 20 additional people joining. Now, some of you came after 2019, 
and uh, started worshiping with us online. Um, some of you are still worshiping with us online. Um, and you've joined our community after we launched, right? Um, some have been prospered unexpectedly over the course of this pandemic. Even has the pandemic created struggles for certain people, it has um, unexpectedly prospered others. And, and praise God that it has, right? Here's what I'm hoping over the next two weeks is to see some of you join us in this campaign. I'm looking to see some who, who, who weren't part of our initial effort uh, become part of our effort. Or, or maybe some of you, your pledge was genuinely generous in 2019, but because of how God has prospered you and blessed you over the last two years, um, uh, you have greater capacity. I don't know. Um, I want to see us respond to God's leading toward generosity. That's all. At the end of the day, that's what I want. Um, the goal is secondary, to tell you the truth. Primary that I'm looking for is a culture of generosity. Because if we can build a culture of generosity, that impacts our hearts. That doesn't just help us achieve a financial goal. And that's going to be a blessing to everyone in our community and in our broader community. Um, we're blessed when we sacrifice to be a blessing to others. And so I'm going to be inviting you uh, if you haven't yet joined us, to join us, to join the rest of your spiritual family, your community, in being part of this blessing. Now, there's no better way to invite you to generosity than to take some time and listen to Jesus. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this. I know many of you do because I've said it many times. Jesus spoke more about money than he did any other topic. And some of you are like, what? That sounds weird. Yeah, he talked more about it than love. He talked more about it than grace. He talked more about it than heaven and hell. He talked about more than those things all combined. Um, he spoke more about money than he did any other topic. And you're like, why would he spend so much time talking about money? Something so unspiritual. Well, that's because what we do with our money is deeply spiritual. Right? You show me your checkbook ledger. And you're like, I don't even know what that is, Steve. If you show me your how you spend your money, right? And I'll tell you what you value. It's really easy to figure out. We spend money on what we love. Right? And you know that. There are certain things, man, the money can't jump out of your hand fast enough. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, you're, like certain things you're like, I don't know, man. I don't know. I, but there are certain things you're like, oh, here you go. Take it all, right? Um, your money shows you what you love. Your money shows you what you value. Your money shows you where you're pursuing significance or security or rest, right? But here's what's really cool. Your money doesn't just show you your heart. What you do with your money shapes your heart. You're not simply a passive participant in this journey. So, so when we look at how we handle our money, it doesn't just reveal to us what we value. It shapes what we value, which is why Jesus spent so much time talking about it, because he was calling his people to enter a spiritual battle, a spiritual battle for their hearts. Not just to discover what they value, but to reorient what they value through the use or the intentional use of money, right? So we're going to be sitting in Luke chapter 12. We started last week. We're going to be here this week. We're going to go there next week. And, um, uh, and, and we're going to be specifically talking about our capital campaign and generosity, Okay, And that's going to set the stage for the second part of our series where we're going to be looking specifically at our value of church planting. Okay, But we're going to be getting into that in the second part 
of our series. Now, last week we looked at the opening of our passage um, in verse 13. Someone in the crowd came to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me, right? That sets the stage for the, the rest of this conversation. Some dude just yells out of the crowd, hey, Jesus, rabbi, 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 right? Person in, in a position of honor, uh, tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. And Jesus's response is a little surprising to us. He said to him, man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? Right? What made you think I'm part of your game? I don't, I don't, I don't operate in your paradigm of life. I'm not here to be used by you to help you get more. I'm not here to be part of that system. I'm here to call you out of that system. I'm not here to help you do better in your prison of greed. I'm here to open the door so you can be set free from it, right? Um, And then he says immediately to his disciples, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Take care, have your eyes open. That's what that word means. Keep your eyes open because there's something really sneaky. And be on your guard because there's something really dangerous here. What is it? Covetousness. The biblical word for greed, right? It is sneaky. It is dangerous because greed lies, right? Greed promises life. If I can only keep what I have and get a little more. If I can only keep what I have and get a little more, then I'll have security. Then I'll finally be able to have rest. Then I'll finally be important and have significance. Then I will finally be worthy of love. If I can just keep what I have and get a little more. But the thing is, greed never delivers on its promises. Never delivers. It creates an illusion of security or significance or rest, but it always betrays your trust. And in the end, never takes you to where you actually want to go. In fact, Jesus says we are fools if we are rich in this world, but not rich toward God. If we are rich in possessions, but poor in our experience of grace. Now this week, Jesus is going to expose one of the most critical betrayals of that misplaced trust, and that's anxiety. So let's take a look at our passage. Uh, We're going to start in verse 22, and we're going to read down through verse 31. Okay, so starting in verse 22. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They neither have storehouses nor barns, and yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so after telling us 
to be careful, to keep our eyes open, to stay alert, and, and to be on our guard because there's something really, really dangerous trying to sneak into our hearts, trying to take us captive. Um, and he specifically says it's the deceptive promises of greed, right? All covetousness. Stay alert. Be on your guard. He then exposes one of the most insidious results of greed, which is pervasive anxiety. Restless fear. Underneath the surface that never lets us rest. Anxiety. It is energy. Energy that is expended to keep what you have and get more. It's that feeling of fear that kicks in when you think, Um, someone may ask more of you than you want to give. It's that feeling of fear that kicks in when when, um, something you are really counting on as far as the market or or a job or or, uh, it it feels threatened. It's that thing that kicks in when, um, I don't know, things just seem like they might be at risk. It's the energy that you expend to keep what you have and get more and it's never-ending. It's never ending because keeping what you have and getting more never ends. There's no end to that process. There is no end to that treadmill. You, you just run and run and run. So here's the thing. What I find interesting as I thought about this and meditated on this, greed produces energy. We know that. Greed produces energy. Somebody who is greedy is going to have a lot of energy to pursue what they're greedy for. It's just going to happen, right? That's part of the heart of what makes capitalism such a a great economic engine. If I come to the table greedy for more, I'm going to come with a tremendous amount of energy to take advantage of, of of the opportunities around me to maximize my opportunity, right? So greed produces a tremendous amount of energy. But in producing that energy, it also produces boundless anxiety. Because the heart of greed is to keep what I have and get more. Right? Now, there are other reasons to be productive, I will tell you that. God created us to be productive. And there are, there's boundless energy that comes from love. When we are productive for the purpose of love, to be a blessing to our families, to be a blessing to our communities, to be a blessing to others, all you have to do is look at any young parents who are absolutely physically exhausted and yet still find more and more energy to get up in the middle of the night, take care of their kids. Love produces boundless energy. Greed is not the only way to create um, uh, prosperity, right? The difference is that love produces to give, greed produces to keep. And since greed is that restless energy to keep what I have and get more, It also simultaneously produces the fruit of anxiety in my heart because I'm always afraid. I'm afraid of losing what I have. I'm afraid of not getting everything I could have had. I'm afraid of leaving money on the table when there was possibly more to have taken. I fear that others might take what I have or reduce what I get. And instead of seeing people as an opportunity to love, You start measuring what their threat is to dipping into what you've gained. Instead of seeing community, you start seeing competition. And because you don't see the world as a place of abundance, and instead see it as a place of scarcity, 
right? In a place of abundance, I don't have to be obsessed with keeping and getting. In a place of abundance, I can be generous. I can be free because there's always more to be brought to me than I can give. Because we see the world as a place of scarcity, where I'm in competition with you, and everything you get is something I can't get. And everything you have is something I can't have. And every time you are promoted, it's a promotion I can't get. When I start seeing every dollar you gain is a dollar I don't have. I'm filled with anxiety. I'm filled with anxiety about what I have. That it's not enough. I'm filled with anxiety about what I want to get. Because it's at risk of not coming in. I'm filled with anxiety about what you have because I don't have it. I'm filled with anxiety at those who are advanced above me because they have significance I don't have. I'm filled with anxiety at those who dress better than me or look better than me because I'm less. I'm filled with anxiety that that my vacations aren't as good, my food isn't as good, my opportunities aren't as good. I am continually comparing because greed is fundamentally comparative. I'm always comparing what I have to what others have and measuring my worth, my significance, my ability to rest to others so that even when I achieve, the rest itself isn't restful but rooted in anxious comparison. Verse 22, Jesus says to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Specifically, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. He's he's talking about, specifically, your ability to provide for your fundamental basic necessities. Right. In addition to that, we could obviously add the luxuries of life. (laughs) Right. He's talking about the fundamental basic necessities. He's like, don't be anxious about your food and clothing. The fundamental, most basic things you need. And by extension, we would say, don't be anxious about, about all the luxuries that you want to add to it. Right? Don't be anxious. Don't live in fear. Verse 23. For life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Life. Let's go back around. Why are we so obsessed with keeping what we have and getting more? Because we think that's what's going to give us life. We believe the promise of greed, that if I keep what I have and get more, I'll be more secure. That if I keep what I have and get more, I'll be more significant. If I keep what I have and get more, I'll finally be able to rest. If I keep what I have and get more, I'll finally be worthy of love. We think that the fundamental necessities of life will be provided to us through greed. And Jesus is like, come on, man, come on. Be careful. Be careful. Keep your eyes open. Be on your guard because this is deceptive and it is dangerous. This is a lie. The fullness of life that you pursue will never be gained through the empty deceptive promises of greed. Life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. That's not where the fullness of life comes from. Those are not the things that will give you what you honestly crave. Now, Jesus moves on and gives us several object lessons from nature, right? He's like, take a look at the rest of creation, right? Take a look at the rest of creation to to see what I'm talking about. It's going to teach you something about how life is supposed to work, 
right? Not the way we've twisted it to work in our, our separation from God and our rebellion against God. No, in the way that it's supposed to work, right? Verse 24, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Right? They neither sow nor reap, yet they eat. They don't have barns. They don't have houses. They don't have 401ks. They don't have investments. They're not stressing about the moment-to-moment valuation of Bitcoin, right? And yet they're doing just fine. They're alive. They're eating, right? God takes care of them. How much more valuable are you than the birds, right? Take a look at verse 27. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Right? You want to be significant? You want to be full of splendor? You want, you want to be impressive? You want to actually be covered with the glory that your heart genuinely craves? Look at the flowers. They're already beating you. They beat Solomon. Right? The beauty of wildflowers that that are just here for a moment. God clothed them with splendor. How much more? Oh, you who were created in the very image of God, will God clothe you in splendor? How much more can you trust that God will cover you with significance? That God will cover you with security? That God will give you rest? That God will make you worthy of love? Oh, you. Part of the creation, but unique in all of what has been created because you were created in the very image of God. Can you not recognize that there are principles at work in the rest of creation that are also true For you, right? The birds aren't racked with fear. The grass isn't anxiously worrying about whether or not it is glorious, right? It's all foolishness, right? That's what Jesus said last week. Oh, fool, right? Take a look at verse 25 and 26. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? Which of you can do that? All right? Who of you, by being anxious, who of you, by having this restless energy to keep and get, can actually add a single hour to your life? Right? Anybody? Anybody? He's like, if you're not able to do as small a thing as that, I love that phrase. If you can't do something as small as that, why are you anxious about the rest? If you can't control the hour of your death, If you can't, by keeping and getting, actually bring in the fullness of an indestructible life, why are you worried about anything else? Because you know how the story ends. You know where everything's going. Why are you fighting to have all the pebbles buried in a little hole beneath you so that they're sitting there when you die? What good does it do you 
right? It's the guy in last week's parable. The guy who was building bigger barns and like, man, my soul is secure because of all that I have. And God's like, man, you fool. Tonight your soul is required of you. And guess what? Everything you've accumulated, you don't get to take it with you. It's not life. You're going to leave it behind so it can ruin other people's lives after you're gone. Some of you are like, Steve, come on, man. It's like fairy tale stuff. Really? Because I think my anxiety helps me. I mean, I really do. I think my anxiety helps me. I think, I think my financial caution protects me. I think my obsession with keeping and getting actually does make me more important, more significant, right? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like those losers who waste their money, who have no ability to provide for their families. I've scrapped for what I have. I have fought for what I've got. It is my glory. It is a testimony to my hard work, my industriousness, my ability to carve a place out of this world. My anxiety serves me. I think my clothes and my car and my house and the things that I own really do make me secure and important and worthy. I feel like I'm more in control when I respond to my anxiety. Now, very few people are actually going to put it that bluntly. But I know, because some of you are actually already feeling anxious just because of the text that we're preaching, right? As I start talking about your money, some of you are already getting nervous. Like, hiding your wallet. You know, I knew it. Church, man, all they do is talk about money, right? Actually, we don't talk about money anywhere near as much as Jesus did. All right, I know, y'all. I know. I know it feels like at times anxiety is your servant. I know at times it feels like anxiety protects you. I know at times that anxiety provides for you. I know, I know that's how it feels, but is that what it's actually happening? Listen, there are times that it feels like you're moving faster when you turn up the speed of the treadmill, but are you actually getting anywhere faster? You're expending more energy. But are you actually getting closer to the fullness and the flourishing of life? Not the secondary goal of keeping and getting. The primary goal, why do you want to keep and get? Is it actually delivering you into the fullness and flourishing of life? Into genuine security, genuine significance, genuine rest, genuine worthiness of love. Listen, sometimes expending more energy... Is just expending more energy. It feels more productive, but it doesn't get you any closer to where you actually want to be. So what, Steve? What? What, are we supposed to be lazy? Is that what you're saying? That we're not supposed to be productive? That we're not supposed to have goals? That we're not, we're not supposed to, to work hard? Uh, no. Sometimes when we get anxious and defensive, we start hearing what's not being said. We need to be very careful that we're not hearing what Jesus is not saying, right? That that we need to be listening to what he actually says, right? He's not saying people shouldn't work. He's not saying people shouldn't achieve. 
He's not saying that people should not uh, set goals or, or invest their money or, or, or be um, uh, frugal and cautious. And, and he's saying that at the end of the day, it's an issue of faith. The real issue is where do you put your faith for life? What are you trusting to deliver you into the fullness and flourishing of life? That's the issue. This has nothing to do with whether you're lazy or productive. We already know scripturally we're called to be productive. We were called in this life to use our talents and our skills and everything that God has entrusted to us to be productive, to be good, to add to the flourishing of life for ourselves, for our families, and for our communities. That's not in question. The question is, what do you trust to actually take you to the fullness and flourishing of life? Because you're a fool if you put your faith in your money. You're a fool if you believe the lies of greed. Take a look at verses 28 through 30. Look at the end of 28. Oh, you of little faith. Right there is where Jesus anchors the real issue. It's an issue of faith. Oh, you of little faith. Verse 29, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. Verse 30, for all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom. And these things, they'll be added to you. He's not saying don't work. He's saying, don't look to your work to give you life. He's not saying, don't be productive. He's saying, don't look to your productivity to give you security. He's not saying, don't be wise with your money. He's saying, don't look to your money to make you significant or worthy of love. Life can't be found in what you can keep and what you can get. All the nations of the world look to these things to give them life. That's the essence of worldliness. Worldliness is when we create systems to try to find the fullness of life apart from the God who gives the fullness of life. Where we lean on our own abilities instead of leaning in humble dependence on His provision. Where we put our faith in ourselves to protect, to provide, to secure instead of in the God who actually does those things. All the nations of the world Try to find the fullness of life apart from the God who gives it. Don't be worldly like them. Don't walk in, in, in that deceptive rebellion against God. Looking to what God created instead of the God who created for your security, your significance, your worthiness, and your rest. Don't put your faith in the stuff of this world. Put your faith in your heavenly Father. Because He loves you. And He knows what you need better than you know yourself. Don't seek to build your kingdom in this world. Seek first the kingdom of the Father. And if you put His kingdom first, He'll add all the other stuff to you. The counterintuitive values of the kingdom, right? I have to keep and to get in order to protect myself. And God's like, no, it was never your job to protect yourself. 
It was never your job to provide for yourself. It was never your job to secure yourself. It was never your job to to discover how to discover rest. It was your job to humbly, dependently walk in faith. To respond to the love of God, the responding love that allows you to simply stop competing with God and start resting on God. To stop trusting yourself and instead to trust the God who provides. That's the real issue, y'all. We have an issue with trust. We don't trust God. That's why we struggle with greed. I don't trust God to be God. I don't trust God to be good. I don't trust God to act like a good father would. So I have to trust myself. If it's going to be, it's up to me. I have to secure myself. I have to clothe myself. I have to fight for myself. That's the the anxiety, the whispering anxiety of greed in the back of your mind. And it is continually seducing you into rebellion against God. Because that's what this is. In fact, it's a false religion. Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You'll either serve God or money. You'll either serve the one and despise the other, or you'll despise the one and serve the other. You cannot serve two masters. This is a competing faith. This is not just a struggle among many struggles. This is one of the most fundamental spiritual struggles in the Christian life. We are either going to try to trust ourselves or we're going to push in to trust God. We will either put faith in our own ability or we will put faith in the faithfulness of our Father. Where's your faith? Is it in your greed? Your ability to keep what you have and get more? Or is your faith in God? The one who can actually give you what you want. He's the one that can actually deliver you into the fullness and the flourishing of life. It is an issue of faith. It's an issue of trust. We are most free when we have the most faith. We are the most secure when we have our trust in the God of security. We are most significant when we are resting in the glory of the God who created us. We are most worthy of love when we are resting in the love of the God who created us. We we will discover rest not when we have enough. But when we realize we've been given everything in Christ, it's an issue of faith. These are competing faiths, competing trusts. Now here's the thing, we are not passive in this process. We are called not just to see where our faith is, but to grow our faith in God's faithfulness. We are called to actually engage the spiritual battle, not simply observe it, To put God's kingdom first. To recognize that his kingdom is more important than my kingdom. That his provision is more important than my ability to provide for myself. That that ultimately I'm either going to trust myself or I'm going to trust him. And you need to hear his voice over the whispering anxiety in the back of your mind. Where he says, I will give you everything else. 
Not just my kingdom, but everything else thrown in. Put first the kingdom of God. How do we do this? Just very quickly, look at the next couple of verses. We're going to dig into this next week more in depth, but I just want us to see where this is going. Verse 32, fear not, little flock, for your father's good pleasure is to give you the kingdom. (laughs) Right? He wants to give you everything. Verse 33, sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Now we're going to dig into those verses more next week. But a principle that we're going to be looking at is this, very simply. There is a war in your heart for your faith. There is a war in your heart for what you're going to trust. Are you going to trust God? And his provision or your money and your own provision. Because you can't serve two masters. And we are called to pick up generosity as a weapon to kill our greed. We are called to pick up generosity as a weapon to go to war with the greed in our hearts. If we are going to walk out our faith in God, we need to test his faithfulness and generosity. Because as we test his faithfulness and generosity, we come to see how trustworthy he is as he delivers us, not simply by providing our temporal needs, but actually introducing us into a deeper experience of the fullness and the flourishing of life, the very things we crave. Because these are competing faiths, because these are competing paradigms for pursuing life, It's deeply spiritual. And that's why I want to invite you to put this into practice with us. The capital campaign isn't simply a means to an end. It's a way of shaping gospel culture in our community. It's a way that we as a community engage our hearts to increase our our ability to experience life together, to move into generosity together, and to go to war against the greed that would ultimately undermine the flourishing of life in our community. Listen, faith doesn't grow by knowing the right things. That's not how you grow your faith. You don't grow your faith by knowing the right things. You grow your faith by acting on those right things by actually taking steps of trust in accordance with the truth that you are learning. If we want to grow our faith, we need to push in to the faithfulness of God. We need to challenge the lies of greed that whisper to us uh, about how we, we are better off if we keep and we get. Generosity is the antidote to greed. Generosity is what kills the virus that's infecting our minds. Are you feeling a little anxious? Anybody? I got to tell you, I'm studying this text. I've taught this text. I'm still, every time I come to it, I feel anxious again. Because here's the thing with generosity. It's never one and done. It's never like, okay, I was generous. I'm good. Now I get to go back to keeping what I have and getting more. No, that's not the way generosity works. God doesn't want momentary heroic efforts of generosity. He wants our hearts to move into a posture of generosity where we are genuinely free from our need to keep what we have and get more and genuinely free 
to live in the world of abundance of the kingdom of God. Receiving freely, giving freely. Which means it's an ongoing battle. And I got to tell you, every time I come back to it, it's a battle again. Because the default mode of my heart is greed. The default sinful mode of my flesh is to keep and to get. So listen, relax a little bit. If you're feeling anxious, you're not weird. You're not alone. And, and to put you at ease, I'm not asking you for anything yet. I just want you to start praying. Will you do that? Will you take this week and pray? And ask the God who has provided for you if He would like you to partner with us. If the God who has provided for you would like you to use some of what He's provided to you to advance the kingdom. Some of you, here's the thing with generosity. Generosity can never be measured by a number or a percentage. It simply can't. Some people, because of the nature of their finances, have very little to give, and yet it's very, very generous for them to give it, right? That's the widow's mite, the story that Jesus talked about, the woman who showed up and and dropped a single mite into the offering plate, and Jesus said she gave more than all the others combined. And, And they were like, what? It's a mite. And he's like, it's all she had. It's not measured by how much you give, it's measured by how much it costs, Generosity is not measured by a number. It is measured by an attitude of the heart. Because generosity, always in the beginning, feels like a sacrifice. Would you pray? And just ask God, what does that look like for me? What does it look like for me to grow my faith by moving in generosity? Would you have me do that? And try to actually look for the right answer. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, Because here's the thing. If God leads you not to partner with us, praise God. He'll, he'll lead you to be generous in other ways. You know what I'm saying? Like generosity is not off the table. That's never off the table. I'm just, I don't know if he's going to tell you to do it here or not. But the first step is to get to a place where you're actually asking God, how would you have me be generous? To come to that place of, of yieldedness, that place of saying, Lord, I want to grow my faith. I trust your faithfulness. How would you have me do that? Right? Um, we have spread throughout the room if you would like to see them. Uh, we handed these out in 2019, the Flourish booklets um, that talk about our, our campaign. And, and when you look through that, there's going to be some, some helpful information about who we are. Uh, it is very, very well laid out. I was looking at it again. I'm like, man, this is really attractive. Um, but it, it's tons of information about who we are, the numbers, why we're raising the money. Um, if you haven't seen one of these, go ahead and grab it at the back. There's a super helpful handout that you can look at. Things that just remind you uh, of things that you maybe forgot, right? If you buy a 16-ounce cup of coffee every single day, you're going to spend over $2,000 over three years, Right? Uh, if, if you go out to dinner um, for two each week, you're going to spend almost $5,500 over the course of three years. Right? I won't go through it all. Because here's the thing. We tend to forget how much we spend on the things that are easy to spend it on. And we like to be generous out of what's left over instead of the first fruits of what God has given. So pray about it. Will you do that?
Will you pray about it? Take one of those booklets if you haven't seen those and just pray about it. And, uh, and we'll see how God leads you to be generous. And I guarantee you this, y'all, I guarantee you this. As you push into generosity, you will be blessed. Every sacrifice you make, you will eventually see as an investment that reaps dividends for God's glory, for your good, and for the good of those that you serve. And there's no better path. Because you can never outgive God. All right, let me close this word of prayer. And then we're going to share communion together and celebrate God's provision to us. And then we'll close in worshiping with another song. All right, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that, that you are um, a good God. That, that um, man, you don't need our money. You own, as the psalmist says, the cattle on a thousand hills. Lord, you own the money in a thousand economies. You raise up leaders and you take them down. You give prosperity and you remove it. You send the rain that brings the harvest. And you're the one that blesses the life and the seed that ultimately causes it. Lord, you are the one who is the source of all life, the giver of all provision. You're the one who gave us our own talents. You're the one who gave us our own wiring. You're the one who equipped us to be able to be productive. Everything we have, everything we are, was a gift from you. Lord, will you awaken our hearts to trust you as the giver of good gifts? Will you awaken our hearts to trust you as the one who genuinely gives the fullness and the flourishing of life that we might be set free from the deceptive, self-destructive, others-destructive promises of greed? Lord, more than meeting a financial goal, you know I would love to see us be a community that is shaped by this kind of faith a community that is wired to love, to be generous instead of to fear, to be joyful instead of filled with anxiety. Lord, meet us in this. I pray, Lord, that you would help us as we each pray and come to you, Spirit. Will you awaken our hearts to the ways that greed once again has, has taken, taken hold? And then help us, Lord, to push into faith that we might be set free into the goodness of your love. We thank you that you are so generous with us. Free us, Lord, into that generosity. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.